Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Marlon Nichols from Mac Venture Capital, an early stage venture fund in Los Angeles. Marlon has had a really interesting career. We talk about getting into venture after getting his MBA and how to know when to make the jump into something entrepreneurial. Hope everyone had a nice Memorial Day, the unofficial start to summer. Ate some hot dogs and hamburgers and got yourself ready for the part of the year when everyone's a little less productive. You can't worry about that though. Only worry about what you can control, how hard you grind, how much you put yourself out into the world. The rest is on the universe to take care of, and if you work hard, then it will. Look at this podcast. A couple years ago when I started it by buying a couple mics on Amazon, I had no clue what I was doing. Now I've had so many incredible people on it. People actually reach out to me to be on it, and it makes a small bit of money. So there you go. Putting a dent in the world doesn't happen overnight. It takes lots and lots of work and persistence, but you can do it. Marlon Nichols, what's up? Thanks for, thanks for talking with me. No, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor. Thanks. Cool. We're in this cool sp- space in Hollywood. What is this place? It's called H Club. Um, it's a new kind of members club uh, targeting creatives and I guess you can say captains of, of industry. So just a, a, a kind of a neat place to, to do meetings and, and hang out. I, I come here often and just kind of sit in the corner and watch people go by and um, work on my laptop. And then at some point come out of my corner and start to socialize and you know make new friends and uh, just learn about you know, what's happening uh, in the world of media and entertainment and, um, you know, just kind of what's going on. Keep fresh. I love it. Yeah, that's that sense of community. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking about staying current in media, entertainment, startups, like that's kind of your your space, right? Startups, definitely my space. Um, media and entertainment, um, we, we do quite a bit of deals there as, as, as well. You know, my, my co-founder comes from um, kind of uh, entertainment. Uh, so, yeah, so we see a lot of stuff in and around that. But um, I'd say uh, more broadly, startups. Startups. Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess let's just go back to the very beginning of Marlon running around, you know, not, not diaper days, but, <laughs> but a, little, a little past that. Uh, were you always a startup guy? Like, how'd you, how'd you get into it? No. Diaper days, by the way, I was in Jamaica. <laughs> West Indies. Uh, so I partially grew up there. And, and then uh, I think when I was about either seven or eight, moved to New York, um, grew up in Mount Vernon and high school in the Bronx. Um, <clears throat> studied uh, MIS at Northeastern for my undergraduate degree 
And right after there, I joined a startup um, called Frictionless Commerce. And I joined kind of leading global implementations. I think I was employee like number somewhere between 10 and 12 around there. And um, yeah, that's that's where my uh, kind of career in, in tech started. Yeah. Interesting. And when you went to school, did you think I'm going to go work for a big company or like how'd you like go to that? How'd you get that startup job? So it was interesting. So uh, Northeastern has an interesting program. Uh, they, they call it co-op, co-op, cooperative education, where you're in school for six months, and then for the other six months of the year, you're working, um, you know, kind of entry level in the field that you're studying. So my co-ops were like at John Hancock in the IT department. Um, there was this group. I, I can't. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but. We um, oversaw all the IT needs of um, all the hospitals in kind of the, the Boston area, so like Dana-Farber and all those hospitals. And then um, I went, I, I came out west in uh, in the Bay Area to HP, and I did six months um, with with HP, uh, working on a bunch of different things. And that's when I got exposed to Silicon Valley and um, just a different way of life, like going to work without wearing suits. And, um, you know, people just being being more casual, um, you know, a lot of startups being being in and around, you know, the, your environment and in your community. Um, and that's when I really said, you know, I, I like this tech thing. It's just a little bit different. I really love this California vibe because um, I grew up on the East Coast. And so I'm going to move back out here at some point and I'm going to work in tech and I don't know how or when or what it's going to be, but I'm going to do it. And um, yeah, it, it, it just so happened that I recruited for, for tech um, as, as when I was a senior. And yeah, I landed at, um, actually, there was a stop before Frictionless. There was a um, dot-com consultancy called uh, Breakaway Solutions. And uh, I graduated from undergrad in 2000. Um, so you know, I dated myself there a little bit. But um, it was uh, our jobs were basically to um, pro provide IT and strategy consulting to, to dot coms. And if you know, if you study history a little bit, <laughs> in 2000, all the dot coms are going out of business, right? So I'm um, so I'm in this environment where I'm getting promoted, but all the senior people around me are getting laid off. And I'm like, what's going on? I've never been through this before in my life. I'm like, what, what is going on? And, um, you know, started talking to some mentors and they're like, yeah, that's probably not a good situation. Um, so you should probably start looking around. And so I started looking around with the help of some of those mentors. And then I found this software company that was um, early and, and growing pretty quickly and uh, interviewed, got the job and um, yeah, and started with them. It went pretty well. Did it did about a year and um, then got tapped by one of the co-founders to move to, to London to launch the company in London and grow it. And so spent three years doing that, which was, which was great because it felt like a true startup. Um, there were three of us there in the office, so I did everything, pre-sales, sales, um, <clears throat> implementation, uh, customer support, <laughs> like everything. Um, and then ultimately the company was acquired by SAP and I, um, and I moved on. That's cool. And that, that program you're describing in school 20 years ago, that, that, that sounds like that would be something really innovative today. Jesus, it was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've been doing it for a while. I think uh, they, they pioneered it. Um, other universities, I think uh, Drexel was another one that had a similar, um, and out of Philly, had a similar program. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it worked out for me because what, what happens is you get 
you get all this entry level experience so that by the time you graduate, you can kind of get a mid-level job as opposed to coming in, you know, really at the ground floor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's helpful for me. And you also get to see what you like and what you don't like. I mean, that's like a huge part of life is just checking stuff off. Well, I don't like that. So I'm going to not do that anymore. I don't like uh, this. Or, I mean, it's just kind of whittling down process of elimination. Absolutely. The more internships, the better. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And the longer they are, the better, right? Because usually they're, you know, most, most internships are, you know, two and a half months over the summer. And by the time you, um, <clears throat> by the time you get started, it's over, right? You start to, you know, feel comfortable. The thing is over and, and you spent most of your time just trying to come up to speed so you can be functional, right? I think when you do it uh, a longer um, term or stint, um, you know, you really get to, to, to have the experience of what it might be like to, to work in that environment. Cool. Yeah. All right. So I'm a believer in this program. You start to see all these different things. You get into tech. I say I like tech. You get to move to London, do a startup. The, start, the company gets acquired. It's like, all right, Marlon, your career is, is off to the races here. It's like the, <laughs> I have an eight-month-old daughter now, and, and uh, I constantly read the, play, the book, All the Places You'll Go. Like, you're off flying high. No one can catch you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, um... So it was actually a moment of, at the same time, confusion and clarity. Um, clarity in the sense that I knew that I did not want to do another, um, I did not want to be in another tech company for a long period of time. Confusion because I knew that I love tech and um, I wanted to be around, around tech. So how do I get, how do I, how do those two things come together, right? And and so I ended up um, recruiting for consulting jobs. So I, I joined this uh, boutique consulting firm called NDS, who's um, and I moved back to New York, and um, whose um, primary client, largest client, was the Blackstone Group and their real estate division. And so I, yeah, I took a job as kind of a, a program manager, where I was um, leading um, technology selection and creating shared services organization and making decisions around, um, uh, you know, resources, people, um, as they were acquiring um, hotel chains and luxury resorts in South Florida and the Caribbean. And, um, and that was it, was, it was fun, right? Because I was evaluating technology. So I was seeing new technology all the time. And, you know, I was um, interacting with, you know, um, kind of the most senior people at, at Blackstone and at these um, hotels. Uh, so it was, it was rewarding for a while. And then, um, uh, you know, like I think every consultant experiences this, right? You, you go in thinking, you know, it's going to be this really broad experience and you're going to see all these things. But what happens is you become specialized. And so then you start being billed out, um, you know, for the same thing over and over again. So now I find myself in the same, having the same issue that I had when I was in the, so in the software company. I'm doing the same thing over and over again, even though it's for maybe a different client, right? Um, so I got, I got lucky and um, our, our consulting firm got acquired by another one, a bigger one called uh, Edgewater. Um, and they were based out of Boston somewhere. And they wanted to create a strategy practice focused on media and entertainment. So I was like, all right, this sounds, this sounds interesting. It's another, you know, it's, it's different, right? It's, yeah. not, it's not real estate. Um, still going to be playing around tech and, you know, just different sector. Uh, so went with uh, another guy that they hired to kind of start to build a practice. And 
first client was Warner Music, um, helping them figure out kind of their their uh, merchandising business, and then um, helping them think through piracy, which was kind of a you know a big deal. Yeah. In kind of the called the mid two thousands. Um, and yeah, that would, that went well for a while. And then I got tired again. Um, cause you know, the same thing happened again. It's just like, all right, this is where you're, this is, this is what you're good at. This is your lane where you, you know, you're going to go to McGraw Hill. You're going to go to this customer, this com- customer in the media entertainment space, and you're going to do the same type of projects. And, um, yeah, I just got tired of it. And I, and I, um, you know, looked inside and, and started talking to some mentors again and some friends and, um, I learned about this thing called venture capital and I thought, you know, wow, this, this feels like my lane, right? It, um, you know, on surface, it was like, okay, I get to meet some really smart people on a daily basis that are building, uh, interesting technology, um, sometimes cutting edge. So I get to be around technology. Um, you know, if I do the investment, I'm, I'm, I'm invested in, in this thing, right? So, I'm there with them for, you know, five to 10 years, probably. And, um, you know, I'm interacting primarily with the CEO and the executive team around um, strategic um, kind of decisions. And so it kind of checked all my all my boxes. And I didn't have to be in one company for a long period of time. So I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And so then the next thing was like, well, how how do I get there? And um, what I, so again, some soul searching, I was like, I don't know anyone in venture, <laughs> maybe one person. Uh, and it wasn't, and he was a mentor, this guy named Maurice Coleman, and he was running, um, it was kind of community banking for, for Bank of America at the time. But they were uh, basically making equity and, um, and leverage uh, kind of investments into, um, I guess, small businesses. So similar, but not, not mm-hmm. exactly the same. So he, he coached me up a little bit. And what I learned is that I needed, I needed the network because it's a very network-driven business. Um, so how do I get there, get that? And then I also felt like, um, well, I was, you know, uh, my major in undergrad was MIS, so I did business. But I don't think I was sharp enough in terms of, like, accounting, financial accounting and, and just finance in general. So I need to tighten that up. So back to business school. And um, I chose Cornell uh, and uh, two reasons um, primarily, well, three reasons primarily. Um, one was I wanted a small class where I could actually network and, and, and build real relationships with everyone in the, in the class. And so, you know, we're something like 275 and then with the one years, maybe 350 total. Yeah. So I knew everyone. Um, and, you know, and, and that was part of the the reason for going back, right, is to build these relationships. Um, and two, they had a, um, a student-led or MBA-led pre-seed fund. And I actually had the opportunity to lead that fund for the time that I was there. So I got, got to kind of cut my teeth in venture to see if I actually like it yeah. and, and build relationships. Just like with, you did out of undergrad. Same, yeah, same yeah, thing. yeah. Ex- exactly, right? It, it worked the first time, so do it again. Um, and... Um, and yeah, and then the third was that, you know, they gave me a, a full scholarship and, um, and admitted me to their leadership uh, development program. It was called the Park um, Leadership Fellows Program, um, which I thought was going was gonna to be very critical as well because I, I, had a, I had the inclination that 
um, managing people or managing relationships was going to be a big part of the job. And so I wanted to, to get um, as rich <laughs> of an experience and, you know, and, um, and kind of a toolkit or a toolbox, a bigger toolbox as possible in order to do that. So chose Cornell, spent two years there, um, and it was, it was great. And, you know, the venture fund gave me the opportunity to network with what I call at the time real venture capitalists, um, you know, because I was, I was not doing the, you know, can I get you a coffee and, and pick your brain thing. It was more, you know, look, we've got 61, you know, um, MBA students that are super happy to jump in and help diligence projects that you're working on. And, you know, behind them is a world-class research institution. Um, and by the way, there's some technology that's coming out of this um, institution as well that you might be interested in investing in. So that I was having those conversations with, um, with, with investors, with, you know, kind of put you on a different um, plane or, or, or playing field than um, a lot of the folks that were reaching out. Yeah, actually being able to provide value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We talk about that every single time on this podcast. And at the end, I'm going to ask you something about providing value to you. So I love that. You're getting your feet wet. You're understanding what the industry is. You're making the connections. And so you graduate. And are you able to get a job right away into, into venture? Yeah. So I only recruited for venture when I was there, which is really hard to do because there's no kind of like, um, it's not like investment banking or, or consulting where there's like a path, right, in a, in a structured recruiting cycle. It's also so, a very, like, there's not a lot of support people in venture. There's like the partner and like they need maybe one person versus investment banking. There's a partner and they need 10 support people. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it depends on the size of the fund, sure. right? You go like a, you know, a Bessemer or NEA. I think there are a lot of um, kind of junior people running around um, and adding value. Um, but yeah, this was different. So, so um, actually, you know, did what I did what I had to do, and I, I came out with two offers. And um, one was from a, a kind of a boutique shop in um, in Seattle, and uh, the other was was with Intel Corporation, um, but it wasn't flush into Intel Capital. It was a, um, a two year rotational program uh they called uh alp like a classic mba job yeah yeah but what it, but what um what interested me about it is at the time intel capital was the largest and most active uh venture firm in the world right not even corporate just period venture um and what they promised me was that i was going to be able to do one of my eight-month rotations oh, wow. there and so what i said was well i needed to be the first one <laughs> right and they agreed so, so I went in, um, I did it, I did okay. There was a lot that I thought I knew, um, you know, running our little fund at, at, at Cornell that, you know, was either just plain wrong or um, I didn't have all the pieces, you know, of the, of the puzzle. And so, so, you know, the first rotation was, eh, it was okay, right? But uh, they saw something in me um, at Intel Capital and uh, they asked me to stick around for my next rotation. So, oh, nice. which was very different from um, what the program intended. You, yeah. You're supposed to do one business unit and move on to the next one. I imagine one. that was like created some problems in the company. They're like, no, he needs to move on. They're like, no, we want to keep him. Right. Right. So, so it, it ended up, you know, being some, some very uh, candid and difficult conversations where at the end of the day, I was like, well, this is my career, right? Um, you know, you can either let me do this or, 
I can look to move somewhere else. Um, and so in the end, they agreed to, to, to let me do it. And so um, turned from one rotation to another rotation to another rotation to hiring me um, full time as an investment director. And so all in all, it's about five years at, at Intel Capital. And um, they, they also paid for me to become a, um, a Kaufman Fellow. I, you know, I got accepted and then they sponsored me. And, and that was great. And that, that kind of um, opened my eyes to um, a lot of the other things that were going on in venture, um, good and bad. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, kind of started my um, thought process of stepping out on my own and creating my own fund. Right. Yeah. So there's been, Marlon, there's kind of been this like theme of your career of not wanting to specialize. And it's cool that you were able to identify that venture is a industry career where you're able to see lots of, very diverse, lots of people, lots of different business models and all that stuff. So that's cool. Where do you think that, do you have any idea where that comes from inside of you? Like growing up, were you, did you not like specializing in things? Is that how your parents were? Like, I'm just, I don't know where that comes from. So I, I wouldn't say that I didn't want to specialize in thing in things like there are definitely some some things that um, or skills that I would consider my bread and butter. Um, I just don't want it to be all that I do. Yeah. Right. So I um, I don't know. I think I have uh, probably shouldn't say this because you know it, it's an actual like medical condition for a lot of people. But I think there's some level of ADD. Right where you know I, I want to focus um, on a lot of things as opposed to just one thing. Right, it, it's um, life is more exciting to me when when I have flexibility and um, and options. Sure, and that scares some people. You know, they want to just be like, oh, this is what I'm good at. I want to just make my living here, and it's just a different way of thinking. Yeah, it. it I find it boring. Yeah, because um, because it, it's, it's especially if you get really good at something, right? Um, and then it's just kind of like you're almost just kind of going through the motions. Right, like becoming uh, an Olympic speed skater. Like you're gonna yeah go fast on. I'm line. gonna wake up at five a.m. I'm gonna um I'm gonna I'm gonna practice for a few hours. Then I'm gonna go lift some weights. Um, have a, have a little time off. I'm gonna come back to practice again in the in in the evening, and then maybe run. All right, every day. <laughs> every day like i need i need to switch it up a little bit right and right. and um which is what i love about ventures that um no two days are are the same right there there's certain things there's certain themes that um are are consistent right so i got to talk to um to our lps um i have to meet new companies um i have to work with our existing companies to figure out how best to to help them I have to raise capital um, repeatedly, which, is, by the way, is the, the worst part of the job is <laughs> raising capital. Um, you know, I have to um, read and, and watch and, and, and stay current on, you know, uh, different emerging trends and themes and technology. Like, so, uh, you know, I'm doing all those things on a weekly basis, but in no two days look the same. Yeah. Right. So. That's that's cool. Okay, so let's finish the journey here of going on your own, starting your own fund. How you how you do that? How it how it works? And then we'll kind of wrap up with a couple of wrap up questions. Sure. So you're gonna leave Intel, like a secure job, the biggest venture capital fund in the world, to go do this on your own. Is that an easy decision to make? Hard as hell. Yeah. Um, 
but the right decision. So what what was happening with me at at the time is, um, so Intel Capital is becoming um, less of a traditional um, or financial venture firm and more of a corporate venture um, unit. Uh, and as I was kind of building my reputation um, in the venture space and in entrepreneurs, you know, with entrepreneurs, um, I was starting to to get access to really interesting deals. And um, uh, the majority of those deals um, didn't make sense for Intel Capital just because it didn't fit with the strategic mandate. Yeah. So so that became more and more frustrating to me. Um, in addition to that, I. Um, you know, going through 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 Kaufman, I started to understand the difference in kind of the um, uh, the financial aspect of of being in a um, in a corporate venture arm versus being in a tradition in a financial um, venture fund, right? Like the the you know you in in the financial venture firm, you're you're working for the carry, right? Um, you want to you want to get the firm profitable, and then you want to share in the upside in a significant way. Um, you know, corporate venture, you get an annual bonus um, in, most, in most of them. Some of them have um, evolved their model a bit, but Intel, is a, it was an annual bonus. So if your companies are doing well, you get a bonus. If they're doing really well, you get a little bit higher bonus, right? If you get a billion dollar exit, you get a high bonus, but nowhere near yeah. what the value, uh, you know, that, right. that, that, so that you So if you're a rock star venture capitalist, you're not gonna be doing it for a, for a company. Probably not. Yeah, I, I think you, unless right. So, so here's the thing, right? It's it's like, are you, are you an entrepreneur at, at heart, and are you willing to bet on yourself, or are you, you know, better suited for a comfortable lifestyle without much risk, right? And I'm the former, right? I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm get, an I get that. <laughs> so. So, so yeah, it, it was, it was a difficult decision to make. Um, and, and my, um, you know, my bank account definitely suffered as I was, um, you know, when I finally left and, um, and was raising the fund. Cause you know, as you're raising, you can't pay yourself what you were making before. Um, so definitely a, a ton of sacrifices, um, that, that were made, but 100% worth it because, you know, now I'm, I'm here building, this 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 franchise this um this this business that you know i'm hopeful you know will be you know will span mo- many generations right and 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 will become kind of a, a household name in venture like hopefully throughout the world um that's exciting to me right and and i get to you know i get to do things in ways that feel right to me Right. Um, I get to pursue opportunities that I believe, you know, um, can, you know, can change the world, um, you know, in, in some in some way. Um, and all of that stuff is just really, really exciting to me. The, the autonomy is super important. Um, and the, you know, um, I, I got to take some risks. And, and you know, th- this is this still is a risk. We've done we've done fairly well, but. It, it, it still is a risk. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. So last couple of questions here. First one's about advice. You talk about like, when is it right in your career to jump off and take that risk? And when is it right to you know, go get skills from big companies? Talking to someone who's 
graduating from school looking for their first job. Is that the time to take the risk? Is, is, there, is there a right answer to that? There's probably no right answer to that. But like, how do you think, what would you tell someone that's you know, trying to carve out their place in the first couple of careers of, of navigating that? <laughs> uh, there is no right answer, right? Um, or uh, no standard answer. I think the right answer is it depends. It depends on you and, and your situation, right? Um, I know that there are a lot of folks that um, have similar tendencies and um to, to to me for instance right but you know i have um huge student loan debt or you know um have the responsibility of taking care of their um their their family i'm not talking about you know wife and kids i'm talking about like your mom and dad your yeah. brothers and sisters your cousins um and so in some in some cases that makes the decision for you Right. It's just like, no, I have to do this now. And it's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, we don't live in a um, an equitable yeah. um, world or country. Um, so I, I think I think you have to really do the um, the, you know, the, the introspective exercises and understand who you are, what drives you. And then I think you also have to look at real world like. You know, everything in life is a trade-off, and are you willing to make that make that trade-off and 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 take that that risk? Yeah, absolutely. So, here's the last question. You know, everyone listening to this, we've talked about you providing value to venture capitalists when you were you know running that pre-seed fund at, at at Cornell. Is there anything that the listeners of this podcast can do that would provide value to you now? It's interesting, right? Because um, I, I want to say, introduce me to you know a hot young company that I haven't haven't met before. Um, if you can do that, I, I'll you know I'll take that call all day. Um, but it you know it's one of those things you, you know you know it when you see it and you hear it, right? Um, there's also something really great about meeting um, super talented young people, right? And um, and and spending time with them and and understanding you know kind of how they see the world, um, and and how their peers see the world, which is usually a lot different than how I see it and how my partners see it. Um, that's helpful, right? Uh, so yeah, you just kind of you see it when you see it is yeah. is, is 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 the answer. Um, but yeah, I I I I'm giving of my time. Um, so, you know, I, I do a lot of, um, I don't know if you can call it mentoring, but um, connecting with um, with younger uh, folks in the industry and, and with a ton of entrepreneurs. Um, time is scarce, but, you know, when I can do it, sure. I, I definitely make the effort. Cool. Well, Marlon, this was really fun speaking with you. Thanks for giving me the time to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it's an honor. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow, and leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks.